Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a weekly show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Times in which I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running a homebrew Eberron game called Eberron the Second Morning. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You too can become a patron of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and joining up there. Patrons get uh, access to an exclusive channel on my Discord server. They get access to an exclusive adventure called Regnum Rattus, the rats in the cellar. They get access to adventure generators. These are one-page sets of tools and and tables to help uh, build thematic uh, adventures of your own. And Sly Flourish has uncovered secrets, which are sort of augments to the Lazy Dungeon Master's workbook. You can get all of this by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. But most importantly, you help support shows like this for all the equipment and bandwidth and servers and all of the other things that I need in order to keep Sly Flourish going. Both the website and the Twitch channel and the YouTube videos and all that stuff. So thanks to all of you who are patrons of Sly Flourish. And if you'd like to join up, you could do so by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish. So let's see, we are, I'm probably about three quarters of the way through this campaign at this point, I think. Hey, Gondolier is here. Hello, Gondolier. And uh, we are, so the characters are now on Karshak. They met Karshak and figured out uh, what Karshak is. So uh, a quick summary for those that are just leaping in. Uh, the Second Morning is an, a game set in Eberron in which the characters are trying to prevent the acquisition of the weapon that caused the morning or a new weapon that could cause a new morning. Uh, the morning, if you recall, is the massive devastating event that destroyed the Empire of Sire and created the Mornland. Uh, so people are worried that they are going to make another such weapon. And uh, the characters have been hunting a villain named Leto Skull. Leto is a very opportunistic Oni who used to work for the Orum and also used to work for the Droam and the Dask, but he's basically working for himself. He is now back to working with the Droam, uh, the daughters of Sorakal, who are opening portals to try to find these place in the Mornland where they can build a new weapon. Uh, in this case, they're, they're looking for a place called Claw Rift, which is in the City of Making. Uh, the characters have been hunting down Lido Skull all across, mostly in Sharn, and then eventually across the, the uh, Corvair, and ended up at the City of Esten, inside the Mornland, where they found out that there was a very powerful, sentient Warforged train called Karshak uh, that, that could take them to... Uh, making and the glass plateau where they could where they could stop Lido Skull, and uh, the train was very powerful uh, and and essentially suicidal, and they had to convince Karshak that he they they had really good strong conversation, and they had to convince Karshak that even though he was a construct built during a war that ended up causing such devastation, he could be something greater and he could stop it the second time. And their, their conversation with him worked. He's still on his way driving out from Esten. He actually blew up most of Esten behind him and killed a whole lot of people. Uh, and, and then just to show them, like, I'm serious about, you know, these conversations we're having, I'm serious about those. Like, I didn't think about those people at all. Look what I did to them. You know, imagine then what I'll do to you if, if these conversations go badly. And uh, they didn't. Uh, Kalmic7 says, in your canon, did you establish who set it off the first time? I have not. Uh, I, 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 I'm not even sure that the weapon, the second weapon, is actually the same as the first. 
probably it's pretty close. And I think in my canon, it essentially required three things to create the weapon of mourning. One, you needed a dragon, a huge, powerful dragon shard. You needed a big power source. Two, you needed really powerful and old magic that came from the uh, both the, the the dragons of Arganesson, the uh, the dreaming dark uh, of the plain of uh, of um, Dalcor, and the giant magic of Kalsir, the the magic before the giants. Um, were destroyed by the dragons. So that magic was all kept in a book called the Tome of Colseer, and the characters chased the tome for a while, and Leto Skull, I think in this version, escaped with the tome. So they know that Leto Skull has the spells. They managed to destroy the Eberron shard he had brought with him by blowing up an entire mountain. They got rid of that. Um, and they uh, Leto returned to the daughters who have started opening portals to try to find the location of uh the, the third thing you need is the essentially a power conduit a, a way to tap into you know the, the world of eberron itself and it's sort of in a big mine called the claw rift inside the city of making at least that's one of my that's my thought right now so our game ended last session with them on karshak they had their strong conversations they fought off a bunch of warforged who attacked karshak karshak basically said i want to see how you deal with these guys and then saw it and now Karshak said, uh, I will make an agreement with you. If you save, if you find the personality of my mate, my Senta, who is another super powerful sentient Warforged train, if you find her and bring her docent to me, her, her personality, her sort of Warforged personality to me, I will take you to making and not kill you all. And to show you this, uh, in order to slow down, so, so Karshak is powered by a, um, uh, a mobile, um, what is it called? Uh, uh, the sort of planar boundaries. There's a name for it. Karshak is sort of powered by a mobile planar boundary. It, it, basically, they took a gateway to the realm of chaos and put it in the engine. And so chaotic energy is flowing into Karshak all the time. But it's so powerful. It keeps him going super fast. But in order to be able to slow down, he needs other energy sources. So... He drove up to a place called the Dam of the Galifarian Kings, where the dam can generate massive amounts of energy and bolt it into Karshak, and then Karshak can speed up and slow down um, while, the, while the gate is and, uh, powering up. So uh, we ended the session with the characters at the Dam of Galifarian Kings, where they are going to restart the dam. Two of the three valves of the dam are down, so only one source of water is coming through. They need three to come through. When they fire that back up again, that will fire up uh, Karshak. That will put energy, and then Karshak will take them to the area where they can then recover Mycenta's personality, and then they will go to making. So it's the it's a little railroady, um, both literally and figuratively. Uh, and one of the tricky bits that I'm having is that both my groups are essentially in the same place, and they're kind of doing the same stuff, and I feel like I'm narrowing things down too much. Um, so, um, I, I always have an opportunity. My, my Wednesday group is about two weeks ahead of my Sunday group. And I, uh, it is easy for me to, um, just run the same thing twice. But I, I often want to say like, okay, well, what did I learn from the Wednesday one? And how do I make that so that that's better for the Sunday group? But they're both working out pretty well. So I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it. 
but as we're doing our prep today, let us, uh, oh, look, I have side finder notion. I'm not filling that right now. So uh, this was my Wednesday game. We're going to drag that down to old adventures. And uh, so I am using notion for my campaign planning. If you are on Twitch, uh, you can learn more by um, going to uh, that URL where it talks about how I'm doing lazy DM prep, lazy DM prep with notion. And we're going to create a new session. So you go boop, click on the session generating planner, and we get a new session. And we go in here and 8 November 2020, Sunday, Eberron. And um, <clears throat> so first step is review the characters. So let us, we're going to go back to, or open up a new window. That way I don't lose it. And go to our Sunday characters. Our Sunday characters include Zarentir Delander. Delander is a uh, Dragonmark member of House Delander. Uh, crashed his father's airship twice, and uh, but understands how the vehicles work. So actually, he's a really good source of understanding for how Karshak operates. You know, and and I think he learned some of this stuff in the secrets and clues last time. But I can drop some secrets and clues this time too. In fact, uh, one good thing, one one way that tends to work for me is when I'm looking at a character and I go, you know, what if we did X? Um, is I can immediately create a secret here. So we say that uh, Karshak needs the lightning energy to prime his main power source, which is a um, mobile Karshak needs lightning energy to prime his main power source, which is a mobile Polanyar rift to the realm of chaos. Uh, there's actually another name for this. Um, what, are, what are the, somebody in Twitch chat, I'm sure will help me out. Uh, what is the name for a manifest zone? That's what it is. Um, and then what's the name of the uh, realm of chaos for a mobile manifest zone? Um, An ancient gateway. So back when they built him, they actually found a gateway to the realm of chaos in Eberron. And uh, let's go. I want to see what the name of the realm of chaos is. So there's a whole thing about the outer planes. Planes of existence. And we have um, Devani, Dalcor, Dolra, Dolora. Uh, Fernia, Irene, uh, Kithri, to Kithri. Kashrek needs lightning rail to prime his main power source, which is a mobile manifest zone, a gateway uh, to Kithri, the turning, the, the churning chaos, and uh, that's something that. Um, Zarentir can find out pretty easily because he knows how elemental warships and stuff like that work. It is possible that Karshak is the fastest vehicle that has been built anywhere in Eberron because it goes it goes supersonic when it goes. Uh, Saber is a bounty hunter, um, a uh, shifter monk bounty hunter, follower of the Way of the Four Winds. Uh, I don't know if there's a secret in this next upcoming place that could really... Uh, it could be something that they know, that he knows. Uh, Shift 
is one of the original Warforged uh, built by a joint uh, alliance between the nation of Karnath and the uh, and House Kenneth and has a kyber crystal uh, in her as her as her heart as her power source. Uh, Banner is another Warforged. He is a paladin of the Becoming God uh, and is um, has now met a few different Warforged who are um, met a few different Warforged who are actually trying to create the Becoming God. Shane Husk is a uh, novelist and expert on the Mornland and expert on the morning. Uh, famed novelist, popular novelist, uh, who is also a wizard hobgoblin. And uh, Chi Sizu, Arwen Chi Sizu, is a member of House Sivis, or uh, a, a latent dragon mark of House Sivis, whose father is now inside of a the docent that they've got and is now part of Banner. Uh, that is actually something that I need to tug on. That's a There's a hook there uh, that I need to tug on more, which is um, Hearn, Hearn Sizu. Let's reposition that. Whoops. Uh, Hearn Sizu is a, well, all my stuff is, all my stuff got, got knocked out of whack. There we go. Uh, Hearn Sizu is um, uh, uh, Chi's father who died, but his personality was moved into um his personality was moved into uh, uh, the docent. So that's pretty cool. So that's, that's something that I want to, I want to figure out more anyway. So those are the end. Oh, so I should probably put him as an NPC. So her, uh, Hrun, uh, H-R-U-N, Hrun Sizu is going to be one of the NPCs. We of course have Karshak. Uh, as far as an NPC, uh, any other NPCs? Geneth the Ryan is somebody they're hunting for. Um, uh, my Senta. How do you spell my Senta? It's right there. M A I. Oh, not Mad Maggie. Oh, I'm terrible. My Santa. There we go. So, uh, fantastic locate. I'm jumping all over the map here. I guess we'll do them in order. Um, although sometimes it's easy to get rid of them. We're gonna. You can. You know, we got the eight steps. We're doing the eight steps in all different orders. So the main thing is that we have the the dam of Galifarian kings. is our main location today. And it's going to probably take the whole session, but we could also put, uh, just to kind of think ahead a little bit, we have some other locations. Now I'm cheating a little bit because, um, whoops, how do I sort? Sort, 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 add a view. There's, is it, is it because it's too narrow? Sort. There we go. Add a sort by created descending. I wish it defaulted to that. It's sad that it doesn't default to that. Um, 
Didn't I just do it? Why did it go back? I just did this. Sort. Add a sort by created descending. And watch. When I put it back, I don't know why that didn't stick. Okay, so Dam of Galfarian Kings, Academy of Eberron. I thought there was also, I thought I had a city in here. You know what? I bet I don't. Um, so I have Academy. Academy of Eberron. Don't worry, all this will make sense in a minute. I'm monkeying around with Notion at the minute, and that's uh, not working well. So let's go to the campaign database. Uh, we have Calarail, City of Farragon. So I think I think my problem is I did not tag it as a location. So it didn't show up. Now it did. Um, so uh, we have Farragon. That actually goes before here. Uh, so, yeah, for fantastical locations, Damagalfarian Kings is where they are now. That is where they're going to explore. But then after that, they're going to the city of Farragon, which is a small city that surrounds a place called the Academy of Eberron. The, uh, in this case, Eberron is the progenitor dragon Eberron. And, um, the, that is where my Senta's, uh, that's where a individual known as Geneth Orion, uh, is holding my Senta's, uh, uh, docent, which is what Karshak wants in order to get the characters to, um, uh, in order to take the characters to making in the glass plateau. So that is, um, that is pretty well set. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the future about where these things are going to go. Uh, somebody probably have, you can save it as a view if you use this sort of lot. I should save it as a view. Uh, I don't know why it didn't default to that. So if I go back, that's a good question. So if I go back, um, uh, uh, whoops, I didn't want to do that. No, I accidentally made it. I just want that. I think, I think it'll stay that way. Um, all right. If I reload this page, yeah, it kept it. It kept the last sorting that I had, which is the way it's the only way I really want it. I always want it new to new to old because I'm most likely to use the stuff. This is a dirty trick in life. You're almost always likely to use the stuff that you use last. So if you always sort things by most recently, it turns out that the stack is one of the most efficient ways to store stuff because the things you need the most often are the stuff that's gonna be at the top of the stack. Things you use the least are at the bottom of the stack. That's from a book called Algorithms to Live By. Totally nerdy book. So, so the scenes are, these are, so if we look at the scenes, um, and I, I don't know, tell that my, my boss and mom. I know, right? Everybody's like, oh, organize. I'm like, no, stack is the most efficient way, you know, or very efficient way. Alphabetical. Um, so scene-wise, we have the dam. Uh, that's pretty much all the scenes are going to have today. Then back to Karshak. Uh, then, and then here's the funny thing. Like, this is, the scenes and locations are basically the same, the way I'm doing them here. Um what did I say the name of the city was? Uh, I mean, hell, I'll just copy them, right? Because my scenes and my locations are basically the same. Because uh, it's a today is pretty much an old-fashioned dungeon crawl is what they're basically going to do. So uh, the narrow so the, what's the strong start? The narrow staircase. 
so the strong start is the narrow staircase and the roar. Um, and the roar of the dam of the Galifarian Kings. I'm not going to really start them off with a fight. So one thing is like, I want to get through this entire location uh, in one session. I really don't want it to go too long. So I'm not going to throw a big, like big, strong fight in this one. I think, I think we're going to start off with a good old fashioned uh, dungeon crawl. You get up to the door, you open the door and you got pads. Uh, scene wise, it's going to be dungeon crawling through the Dam of Galifarian Kings. Then they go back to Karshak. Then Karshak takes them to the Farragon and they, they crawl through Farragon then they get to the Academy of Eberron. Uh, they deal with the followers. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. But because I got, I got plan. I already know where that's generally going to head. Um. Uh, and then they get to making, and then boy, we're gonna have to figure out what the what the end game is going to be of this whole campaign. By the time they get to end game, by the time they get to making, that's going to be the final chapter, and and I don't even know what that looks like yet. So uh, I'm leaving that open. I know it's gonna there's gonna be confrontations. There's gonna be a lot of things going on, all kinds of nonsense happening. But we're gonna worry about that later. Today we're only worried about the game we're running now later today. So uh, Karshak needs lightning to prime his main energy way. Uh, the Dam of Galifarian Kings was built about 500 years ago during the uh, the time of Galifar. Is that when? And now I got to do my history. Um, actually, let's pop open uh, the uh, Exploring Eberron book. And that has, I think, a timeline in it. So we got a D and D, we got a five E material, and we'll do by date. And uh, again, if you sort by date, your stuff you most often bring up is usually at the top. Although in this case, it's the date should have like the date last opened. Uh, Mythic Eberron, it kind of the far north. I have so many things. Uh, it should be right at, close to the top here. I don't know where it is. Exploring Eberron. All right, and we will go and bring this up in which window? Da, 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 this window. Exploring Eberron. And we have uh, recent history, Kingdom of Galifar. Uh, War of the Mark, Kingdom of Galifar, period 1 to 894. So probably a 1,000 years ago, right? Like when did when's current – what's the current year in Eberron is a good question. So it was probably built – 500 or so years ago that's why yeah so i said 500 years ago and i think that i think that fits um because uh, i guess year one is when um does somebody in chat know when uh 998 yeah you're right 998 so we're gonna say about 800 years ago um i think 500 is good right because it's gonna it's gotta be after um uh, uh, it's going to be after, um, they've been around a little bit. 
So Dama Galfar and Kings was built 500 years ago during the time of Galafar. It was considered, it had uh, a royal position uh, to, um, to, to rule over the dam. The dam, the dam served as a regional stronghold. Uh, that fell to Sire uh, when Galifar fell. Uh, that that fell under Sire. Uh, Sire used the stronghold when battling against the kingdom of um, Karnath. Karnath sent um squad sent sent uh, armies of ghouls to invade the dam and kill the uh Syrian Syrian um uh to kill the Syrian uh soldiers there uh what else uh necromancers twisted the soul of the syrian ruler of the last syrian ruler of the dam um the dam is powered elementally but has been corrupted by the uh, by the morning. So seven secrets, real easy. What else do we have? What else is going on at this dam? Uh, the crypts. Um, uh, the crypts of former rulers uh, exists. The dam holds the crypts of former rulers. Uh, we'll keep. So I got a couple more secrets to go, but we'll keep that open while I'm thinking about it. So then we got a fantastic location. So monsters. Um, so what we're going to do, let's take a look at the, gala, the, the dam itself. So again, I ran this for my other group, which is why this is already pretty well filled out. And we'll open this up in a bigger window so we can really see it. Uh, this is a Dyson logo map that I really dug. And uh, so I have an article coming out on Monday about this, about like, you know, lazy dungeon building. And this was a, a lazy built done. It looks pretty good, right? And it seems pretty usable. Um, but the uh, it was actually really easy to do. And essentially what I did is I, I went to Dyson logos and I found a map that I said, that looks like something that might be inside of a dam. It's got some good three-dimensional work going on there. And then I opened it up in preview and I annotated it with a white background with a black text on a white background so that I could drop a label on it that you can read afterwards. And um, Snark Knight says, does Dyson Logos have a hydroelectric dam maps? No, but he has maps. And you could just say, you know what? This is inside of a hydroelectric dam and it works just fine. So I like the look of this one. It didn't take me long to find it. And all I did was kind of write like a word or so, a word or two. And 
I think, you know, you can generally see, so like, you know, I can generally look at it and go, yeah, I can figure out what's there. So one thing that I kind of learned after the fact, after I picked the map was that it was also a bastion. It was also like, you know, it was used as a, it wasn't just a dam. It was also a military fort and that's our military base. And that's why it's got armories and sentries and barracks and stuff like that. And it's got some history to it. You know, the watermaster quarters, uh, it's got some history to it with the crypts. It's got the high Lord's hall, uh, you know, which is there. And I think there's probably a big crack in the dam that kind of split the high Lord's hall up there. I think that that will be kind of neat. Um, so, you know, lots of room to explore and it's not a huge map, right? It's, it's, it's only one, you know, it's not a lot of places to explore so they can get through it in a session, right? We can get through this in three hours. Um, and as long as there's not like a ton of fights and stuff like that. And, and that works pretty well. Uh, so then there's like, what do they face while they're in here? And I have a few ideas because I, again, and then I have a blank version of the map and I have a picture, like there's the map of the Kings. This actually comes from, uh, fantastic locations, Slide versus fantastic locations. So, um, I have a blank version of the map so I can, I can do like snapshots for them, uh, in chat. Uh, so what will they face while they're in here? Uh, and what they will face are, so I like, I love ghouls. I don't know why I was realizing that like, I, I think ghouls are awesome. So they're going to face a whole bunch of ghouls, uh, like a couple dozen ghouls, maybe 24 ghouls. Um, Ghouls are CR1. They're level nine. So we're going to do the Sly Flourish official back of the napkin encounter building. Uh, so we have six ninth level characters. Uh, six times nine is 54. Half of 54 is 27. So I could have up to 27 CR1 ghouls is about right. But we're going to just do 24 ghouls. Um, and if we want just to make our lives a little easier, we can go here and ghoul. And we get a ghoul stat block and we can go here and link it. I like that you just control C, control V and it makes it an automatic hyperlink. Um, sounds like the tunnel monsters from Mockingjay Part 2. You know, I've never seen the last two Mockingjay movies. I think I'd like I'd, I'd like to see those. Are they good? Are the, are the whole, is that whole series good? It's got uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in it too, which breaks my heart. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman and he died. <laughs> Snark Knight says, eh. So we have ghouls. Uh Deathlocks. I wanna I wanna I think the Deathlock Necromancers. Um I think we're gonna have some Deathlocks. Um and uh what's a Deathlock man? I wish they had Deathlock mass uh so Deathlocks are are um I have blight. Um, are they immune to necrotic? They resist necrotic. Um, but we'll stick a deathlock mastermind. I think they already faced one recently. Did they face a deathlock mastermind recently? I think they might have. No, uh, it was my uh, Avernus group that did. So that works out. Um, what other creatures here? Oh, there's a creature from the Tome of Beasts 2. Uh, boy. Oh, I, you know how I can find it easily? I ran it for my other group. So let's go to, um, my, uh, 
previous ones, old adventures, and I'm going to look a couple Wednesdays back. Well, not that far back. Um, I think it was the 28th of October. Oh, was They were in the dam. And there was a... Oh, yeah, Clay Gollum. So this is some other stuff. Yeah, look at, look at, look, look at all this stuff I've already got. Um, I'm just going to steal right from my other one. Boy, I'm lazy today. Uh, I'm stealing a lot of stuff. I'll read through it so we, we have it here. Um, whoops. So clay golems, uh, they, they use clay golems to um, uh, protect parts of it, the parts of the dam. Clay golems are fun. They, they haste themselves, which is pretty cool. Uh, and they're good, beefy, good, beefy, nasty monsters. Um, helmed horrors. I don't, th I mean, you could use, and then I have a bunch of Toma Beast 2 monsters. Um, the Apex Roll, the Befouled Weird is the one that, that I, I used uh, elsewhere. And then I wrote some other ones down here that I can keep. The Apraxel, well, let's take a look at what these guys look like. Um, Um, I must be putting this stuff in the wrong place or my date modified isn't right because where the hell is my Toma Beast 2? I mean, it should be sitting right here in my in my 5e material folder. That's where I keep everything. Um, whoops. Uh, Tom. Oh, sometimes the search is not on your side. So let's go here and pop open the Toma Beast 2. And uh, I talked about the Apraxel Toma Beast page 27. Let's take a look at page 27. Uh, 26, 27. Oh, yeah, look at these guys. They're like weird sand you know uh weird sand things um i kind of like that it could be sort of made out of mud so i i think they, they might be a fun monster um that might be a fun monster to have in that in that room to the north right when we were looking at the dam the high lord's hall they could be lurking around in there or like stuck in this area and they crawl out and they're weird like necrotic things like they're called constructs but look it's made out of skulls I don't know, maybe it's not a good one. They seem to be abyssal, right? But they're sort of like a mixture of necrotic energy. I'm going to say that. They're a mixture of necrotic energy and the material of the dam that's been breaking down. So they could be Mornland creation kind of nasty things. What do they do? They have slam attacks. Um, they can blind with the slam attacks. And they have fiery sands. Um, each creature in 10 feet must make a DC con save or take uh, 20, or 10, you know, 20 damage, 10 slashing, 10 fire. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that's a great one. I might, I might yank that one. Uh, Befouled weirds are like evil water weirds. Clockwork mantis is, a, as you imagine, a clockwork mantis. Uh, Bone shard wraith, page forty-six. Let's take a look at that. Um, yeah, these are nasty. It's CR twelve, right? So I, oh, I think that this is what they did. The bone shard wraith is what they converted the king into. So he is now a bone shard wraith, um, which is kind of a fun, um, 
you know, a, a fun twisting of the last Galifarian king. And he's nasty. Spectral Claws, 21 damage, 15-foot range. It's kind of like a bone claw. Um, oh, and he can exhaust. Um, he can exhaust you, but he can't kill you. It can only knock you down to two levels of exhaustion. So that's a cool monster. So I, I, I'd like, you know, that we're going to have one of those lurking around there. Uh, Dreadwalker Excavator, probably the best monster in Toma Beast 2, by far. I mean, like, the design on it is spotless. Um, couldn't, you know, I don't know that anybody really, like, now that you look at the Dreadwalker Excavator, I don't know how anybody can make any monster again because it's so good. Um, it also happens to be one that I wrote for Toma Beast 2. And uh, here's a little secret. I based it off of the spider robots in my father's book, Illuminatus. Um, so Dreadwalker Excavator is sort of an ancient crawling thing. Uh, and I think we could have a couple of these sort of crawling around in there if we wanted. Uh, they sort of, they're, they're excavators of old, like great old one temples, which I think are kind of cool. And they have alien minds that you can't understand. So they're a fun construct. Uh, I might save these. These might be good ones to have in um, the more in 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 making in the glass plateau, because they could be kind of tied to whatever the hell is beneath. That's giving me ideas. My own stuff is giving me ideas. But like, what if under Claw Rift is an ancient ancient temple, and the energy of the temple is what they channeled to get the weapon of morning to operate? Like, who built this temple? Maybe it's millions of years old. It's the oldest known temple, and it's way down deep in the earth underneath Claw Rift. And it's run, and these guys are crawling all over it. That might be cool. So those are some monsters. So I got a fair bit of monsters uh, that I can throw at the characters today, and that will work well. Um, so treasure. Uh, let uh, let's take a look at the characters and try to see who is up for uh, treasure. Another little dirty secret, I can go back to last week's notes, uh, Old Adventures, and see on the first, uh, I, I had already done some research on the first about who uh, needed stuff. Um, so last time I had talked about an Eberron shard that adds plus one magic to an item and 3d6 thunder damage on a hit once per day on a successful hit. It has to be added to a non-magical weapon. That's Those aren't bad. Or, or a circlet of blasting. Uh, those those could be fun. I'm going to put those under treasure. Uh, oh, I, I know that um, I really want to get a, uh, a rod of the pack keeper to... Uh, um, maybe we'll do a plus two. I don't think she needs a plus two. She, her attack roll is already so high. Weird thing about Warlock. Warlock attack rolls are really high. Um, so a plus one Rod of the Pack Keeper is a really good item. And uh, it could be that a Karnath Warlock uh, um I think that that would be a good one. That that goes in, that goes to shift. Uh, where if you have a warlock, you definitely want to have a rod of the pack keeper. It's like the best item for warlocks. Uh, so I think I really want to get one in her hand. If they face the necromancer, I think they will. I think they will get a rod of the pack keeper. I think that would be a good a good item to to, to have. Uh, and then this idea of like uh, a, a shard that adds a plus one to a magic plus one magic to an item to a weapon, right? And does 3d6 thunder damage on a hit once per day. 
on a successful hit. It has to be uh, added to a non-magical weapon. We'll see. That probably is going to end up going to um, Saber. He has a, a quarter staff that he uses that is not magical currently, and I think he would love to have a modification for that one. So those are good. Uh, helmed Horrors are kind of lame. I'm not a big fan of the Helmed Horror. Uh, but it makes sense for this area. It's like a protector. Um, uh, and mummies. How about mummies? I love me some mummies. Um, in the crypts. Mummy. Mummies are fun. You want to make mummies deadly? Uh, let them attack twice. So they can use Dreadful Glare and they give them two Routing Fist attacks because they do 20 damage. They do 40 damage a hit. Brutal. I gave mummies multiple attacks and they were just deadly. Um, that's a big list of monsters. You know. Um... Probably worth noting since, so, you know, this is, oh, do I have any more secrets and clues? Uh, uh, the, the Karnath necromancers hoped to slay and reanimate the soldiers of the dam, uh, but failed. Or, but the dam, but the morning happened first. Um, I think I already have it that the dam is powered by elemental, powered elementally, but it's been corrupted by the morning. I already have that one. Uh, what other? Is there another interesting secret we could have here for the dam? Something about the. Um, Uh, uh, Karnath hoped to reanimate the Syrian uh, lord who ruled over over the dam. Uh, to break down the will of Sire. Uh, there is an NPC I want to add in here. Um, and that I, I like the idea of a sentient ghoul um, so we're gonna create a uh, uh, a new NPC let's go here get a name for this guy uh, random generators Do I have names where's my names we'll go with random um, Rawl. I like that let's call him Rawl. Um, and we're going to create a new so we're going to create a new page for Rawl and uh, Rawl is a ghoul sentient ghoul of Karnath who um, was one 
one of the attackers of the dam. Uh, and is still around. And and unlike the other ghouls who have sort of lost all of their personalities and minds and stuff, Rawl is still... Uh, Rawl still remembers who he is and what's going on. And he's kind of friendly with the characters. He's he's not a villain. Um, I think he's like curious about them. He's still a ghoul, but he's like, hey, you know, especially after they kill 24 other ghouls, he's going to be like, we're cool. Um, let's look for a picture of a ghoul. Um, all the ghouls look so nasty. I need a nice looking ghoul. How come there's not like a ghoul friend? Um, let's look up ghoul NPC. Uh, oh, that's a mean looking ghoul. They're all eating people. Um, Uh, let's just do undead NPC. D and D. What is that? <laughs> That's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know. I guess we're gonna we're gonna skip a picture. So, yeah, so Rawl is a, you know, a sentient ghoul NPC. They, they, you know, kind of talk to them. I don't know what his goal is, but he's like, well, I don't want to get killed. And maybe I get a chance to eat somebody. I don't know, maybe. So, um, but he might also he'll probably have information that will be valuable to the characters. It'd be a good source. So you have an NPC that they can, they can interact, you know, you know. I, even in a dungeon where it's like this, you still it's still nice to have an NPC. Ghosts are good, specters are good. Specters can't typically talk, but you could have, or you know, you could have sort of a specter that isn't quite. It's more sort of confused than it is evil. Um, so uh, even in in any dungeon, I think you want to have opportunities for all of the pillars. You want role playing. You want interaction. Uh, you know, you want uh, uh, role playing, you want in, uh, exploration and interaction with stuff, and you want combat. You want to create options for all of them, and you don't want just one room after another. That's a fight. You want, you know, you really want to. Uh, I think there here's a here's a here's a, a a potential conversation piece. Um, the Danny Trio ghoul. Oh, that's a great idea. I kind of hate to say Danny Trio. Uh, uh, but Danny Trejo in um, uh, uh, Danny Trejo in um, uh, what the what we do in the darkness was so funny. Uh, looking for a good Danny Trejo picture. That's not bad. Oh, that's the biggest picture I got. There we go. Copy image. He looks pretty healthy for, for a cool. <laughs> um, where did it go? Raw. 
My players will get a kick out of it, though. Actually, uh, uh, what was the vampire movie he was in? Um, Dustled on. You know what everybody says about me? I suck. Great, great, Danny, Danny Treehill thing. Um, that's good enough. We're gonna go with that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, two two levels of pacing to to be aware of uh, in D and D games. Um. I guess I was opening the wrong window. Sorry about that. You didn't get to see all the Danny Trio pictures. Uh, the two levels of pacing that we run into in D&D games, which I think are, are, are worth thinking about and considering. So if we think about Hamlet's Hit Points, uh, Hamlet's Hit Points is a book written by Robin Laws, who's probably one of the, one of the best, deepest minds on RPGs really deep thinker on RPGs, has written books about it for decades, uh, creator of many systems, creator of the gumshoe system, uh, wrote a bunch of different RPGs, uh, wrote for the second edition, the second, fourth edition Dungeon Master's Guide 2. He wrote part of the introduction to that. Um, really great guy. And he wrote a book that I highly recommend called Hamlet's Hit Points, um, which talks about pacing um, it talks about pacing in RPGs and it has sort of two layers to it. And then the first layer is the, is in considering upward and downward beats. Uh, and the idea is that like good storytelling comes from, uh, an oscillation between upward and downward beats. Good things happen, then bad things happen, then good things happen, then bad things happen, then good things happen, then bad things happen. If you have too many downward beats in a row, people feel hopeless and they're and it's and it's lame. And an example of too many downward beats is when I was running um, Isle of the Abbey. It's like fight and then specters and then a fight and then traps and then a fight. And it was really just a, you know, like they were successful, but it was like, you know, we were better off not coming in here. So vacillating between upward and downward beats is a way to kind of keep pacing exciting. You want good things to happen, then bad things happen. Too many good things happen and, and it becomes too easy. It becomes boring, right? So that idea of like, you know, an idea is like if people are having a really hard time in a dungeon, when a wall breaks through and they find an old fountain uh, that's still holy and they have they can drink it and get the equivalent of a short rest without having to take a short rest that's a good upward beat you can just drop into a dungeon finding treasure is a good upward beat uh, getting the drop on bad guys is a good upward beat um, you know facing foes that are easily defeated is a good upward beat for for a dungeon downward beats are like hard fights and uh, oh thank you um Downward beats are um, when you have really hard fights or uh, setbacks or you get you try to disable a trap and you don't disable the trap or, um, you know, difficult things that you face 
even a hard fight, even if you win, you realize you generally burned more resources than you started with. Those are downward beats. Um, so, you know, when you think about like a D&D dungeon, the easy way is, is like you mix in. So you trap and treasure, hard fight, easy fight. Uh, you know, converse, you know, a fight, a thing that looks like a fight turns out that you have a conversation. A good example of an upward beat in a D&D game is in uh, Princes of the Apocalypse. There's an area where there's a dungeon and you go into like the creepy, the creepy part of a dungeon that's all sealed up and you get, you face a lich at like level seven and you're like, oh my God, we're going to get killed by this lich. And then the lich starts talking to you. And if you talk to him right, he can, he'll get on your side. And he turns out he's one of the former adventurers who used to rule over this place. And he'll give you magic items. And it's like, you walk out and you're like, I got a ring of fire from, from the lich. You know, this is the best lich we've ever faced. So it's a really interesting example of a, of an upward, you know, a, a potential downward beat of, oh my God, we're facing a lich to an upward beat of like, Hey, the lich is our friend and is giving us free stuff. So, um, you know, uh, let's see. Evil John says, remember the tool you choose won't make your game good or great. Using the tool you choose will. You can do everything you need to run a great game with just Notepad. Oh, are we talking about um, Notion and stuff like that? Um, yeah. Um, that is true. Yeah. Like the, the, especially like, I don't even, I don't even say that the eight steps that I use here are the, like the one tool to beat all tools. You should, you should, you know, figure out your system that works well for you and stick to that system. We were talking a little bit about like OneNote versus notion in the, in the chat here. And uh, OneNote can do it probably pretty well too. I think OneNote is fine. And I don't reckon people that are happy with OneNote, I don't, I think they should stick to OneNote because it's probably fine. Uh, I really like notion. I'm really happy with it. And, and I'll tell you, like I've now been using it I don't know how long let's look, let's look, let's look back at how long I've been using notion. It's been a while. Um, cause I've been keeping my game journal. Well, I've just used it for this campaign, but I think this is pretty much when I started was about this time. So I've been using it at least since June. Um, but I think I've probably been using it before then. I don't remember the first one. I don't have any campaigns that have ended. Um, so, um, I do have an archive, but, but I don't have any, yeah, I think, I think this is probably my oldest campaign is this Eberron campaign and I've been using it since June. So that works really well. Um, oh, look, so I have Rawl. So here's a cool trick. You take Rawl and you put him in the campaign database and the campaign database, hopefully is still sorting by, uh oh, um, <laughs> cracks me up. Uh, we tag him as an NPC. So you can take a page and turn it into a database entry with one, one little drag, which I really dig. Uh, so yeah, so let one level of pacing is your upper beat and downward beats, right? But then the other level, the other sort of layer to kind of layer on top of that are the types of gameplay. Uh, and in D&D, &D, in the books, it's broken down into exploration, role-playing, and combat. If you, if you wanted to, you could probably break explore down into a couple of different categories too. I don't think I'm going to bother. I think we'll just wrap, because ex explore could be learning history. It's, to me, explore is skill checks, right? So it's skill checks that aren't conversational skill checks. It's history checks and it's perception checks. And it, it's all of the checks that are not talking to people is in my opinion what explore is and then combat is when you're rolling attack rolls and you roll initiative so we know pretty well what 
combat is, we know pretty well what um, uh, what uh, and role playing is, right? And then the explore is that other is that other kind of it's a wider band. And but to me, and you can define it for yourself. And I want to get an argument with people about what explore is. And, and lots of people say, ah, D and D sucks at exploration. Um, oh, that's fine. You know, you find systems that have good ones. I don't. I don't. I'm trying to think of like good. A lot of people would look at skill challenges, the fourth edition style skill challenges as explore. I thought those were too gamey. I thought they were too mechanical. And 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 often the 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 skill challenges didn't fit the story because you had this sort of mechanical like multi you know multiple successes before multiple failure sort of states and it's like I don't know what that means. So to me it's easier to sort of just do independent skill checks based on circumstances and and, and situations. Um that's just my thought. Uh so um, I find that for explore, so, so along with the upward and downward beats, uh, you can also think of the pillars. And to me, when we think about improvisation in D&D, the value of, um, uh, the value of being able to improvise those things two layers of beats. So in one sense, you don't know if you're going to have an upward or downward beat until you're actually running the game. So if you you can't really design them ahead of time. This is this is my criticism of the five room dungeon design. The five room dungeon structures specific encounter types so that they they already have an approach built in. You have your role play scene followed by your combat scene followed by an explore scene followed by another combat scene followed by a role play scene. And to me it's like instead just design the situation. Here's what's going on there. And we'll find out how it goes, you know. Now, there's sometimes like when you walk in the front door of the, um, you, you, you walk in the front door of the Dam of the Kings and you see a bunch of corpses right in front of you and they're dressed in Siren armor and then you're attacked by 24 ghouls, you're pretty sure that's not going to be a role play scene. It's probably not going to be an explore scene. It's probably going to be a combat scene. So I'm a little bit hypocritical with that. But generally, I'm hanging on with a loose grip. I don't think about a scene as a combat scene or an explore scene or role play scene. Instead, I try to put the seeds in and sort of prepare the seeds to have all of it. And I know there's going to be combat in a dungeon. I, I don't expect that as going to be hard to do, but I'm not sure there's role playing. So what do I do, I throw in an NPC that I know they could role play with who will probably show up because there's not a lot of opportunity to do role playing in a dungeon where they find that guy. He can move around. Right. And they might do some exploring before they find him. They might find him right away. It depends on how I feel. It depends on how the, how things kind of turn out. Same with exploration, that that you want to have your upward beats and your downward beats. So you want to mix in opportunities to explore secret rooms that have treasure behind it or great upward beats. And they're a part of the explore pillar. So you want to be able to improvise those kinds of things as the game goes on. Again, all with a loose grip. You just kind of hang on. You kind of feel how it goes and do it in. You don't have to be rigid about all of it. Just like you're not being rigid about saying you're going to have a combat scene, then a role-playing scene, then explore scene. You likewise don't want to say like, I'm constantly turning the dials to make sure that an upper beat, downward beat. You don't have like a little thing that's saying, oh, they had an upper beat, now we're a downward beat. You just want to have a feeling for it. How to look around the table. Are people like, oh God, we're getting hit again in another great big fight. Um, so... Gondwar says the five room dungeon, as I know, it doesn't prescribe encounter types, but function in the story, something that makes something entering hard, something I thought so, but I thought they were, I mean, I guess when I read it, I thought when I read it, it depends on where we're, we're looking. Um, uh, Ultimate guide to five room dungeon. I think 
you know, I think these, uh, I'm trying to find like the, yeah. So I think John, I, I don't know who came up with it, but I thought John, I know John four from role-playing tips, I think is the bigger proponent. He's a great guy, by the way. I'm not bashing anybody. And I certainly don't bash any approach that works for you. So that's all good. I'm just giving my own thoughts. Room one, entrance and guardian, right? So you kind of think, you know, it's traps and they got a guardian, you know, that feels like combat to me. You know, puzzle or role play challenge, right? That's pretty prescribed. Trick or setback? Well, also a little bit prescribed. Climax and big battle, that's prescribed. Reward revelation. So I feel like that, it feels prescribed to me by the scene type when and not situational. Right. And I think that these feelings, um, you know, that the feelings of like what I want to have in each place, it's, it's fine. And like, it's popular. People like this template, so I'm not going to bash it. Right. Or I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm not bashing. It. It's fine. Like we all have different approach, but I think that circumstances are really, you know, situations are what I want to be building for. And then, improvising the feeling of the game while you're running it again, not all the time, not perfectly, but just in general, I think that that works. Um, that works better. Uh, cats question. When you are, uh, when you're playing, do you ever find yourself in the middle of the narrative changing things a bit because it suddenly doesn't make sense in the grand? Yes. All the time that, or it could lead to a plot line more interesting. Yeah, of course. I change stuff all the time. Nothing is true until the player, until it's in front of the players. All the notes and everything that I'd run. Um, I've had entire empires change because I was like, oh, I, I said the wrong thing. And now it's like, it's not the Karnath. It's now this whole other group. So yeah, all the time. Um, you, 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 I, I try to make sure that the world feels real once it is hit. But there's many times where I've said something and then had to make it true. And that's fine. Like that's what it's all about. And in fact, that's that that leads to a lot of the excitement of of these games. So I I don't I don't have any problem with I don't have any problem with that at all. I think that that I think that that works really well. So um uh yeah. So I think we are all set for today's game. Uh, I have my notes. I feel confident. You know, again, the real goal with all of this stuff. Um, the real goal is, do I feel prepared? And I actually feel more prepared than I normally do because again, I've run this before and it's pretty easy when you've run something before to run it again. Um, I think it's fun. I ran it before and I really enjoyed it. Now my character, the players are probably going different directions, I hope. So we'll see how that goes, but I've got a good feeling about where things are going to go this week and next week. And even the, probably the week after that. And I just started spiraling some ideas in my head about where things could go even after that. So, uh, yeah, we're good. And I, my, my notes are good. Oh, look, I can trim this part out. Um, my notes feel solid. Uh, I am, I don't know why this never works quite right. So yeah, I want to thank everybody today for an awesome chat. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Evil John, as always, thank you for, for keeping, keeping things going. And uh, we will get back together next week and see how things went in the dam. And... Um, and off we go. So thank you all very much and have a great day.